Hey everyone, you're listening to an Acts Church Sermon. If you have not heard of us before, you can check us out at www.axcamus.org or come check us out on a Sunday. Alright, here is the sermon. We hope God blesses you through it. Welcome to Axe Church. If you're new today, if this is your first time, we want you to feel welcome. You are important to us. You are a huge reason why we do this, why we meet together, because we want people to come to know Jesus Christ, and we want people to come to know this family here, this group of people who will love you, uh, in spite of you, in spite of them, uh, because of the love of Jesus that we have. And so if this is your first time, I really encourage you, fill out one of those connection cards. We're not going to sell your information to whoever. Somebody might call you and ask you how you're doing, um, which wouldn't be that bad of a thing, right? You don't have to answer. I never answer if I don't know the number, so don't leave a message. But let us know who you are, because this isn't just a place where we come on Sundays. This is a community. This is a family. This is, we, we refer to it as a shield wall, like the Roman legions, kind of standing side to side, protecting one another, watching each other's backs, helping each other to get through life and fight the battles that we need to, to fight and push forward against the gates of hell together. Um, this is a crew that you can depend on. And so I hope that you understand that about this church and who we are. We're very serious about worshiping God. We're very serious about scripture. We believe this book is true. Some of you, if you're new or you're maybe a skeptic or something, might be thinking, mm, I don't know about that. That's a pretty old book, right? Um, but just because something's old doesn't make it false. Um, and so if you want to know more about what we believe about those things, you can actually go on our website. There's a tab somewhere that says Seeking Skeptics. You can click on that, and there's a bunch of messages that we've done talking about things like, why do we believe the Bible is true? Why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, th- all kinds of stuff like that. And so if you want to know those things, go to that Seeking Skeptics at, at our website, and you'll be able to look through that. But I just want to welcome you here today. And for those of you who come all the time, welcome to you too. Love you guys. It's good to be with you this morning. I just don't care as much about you as I do the new <laughs> Just kidding. When I was younger, uh, I didn't like beets or liver, or squash, or rice, or sour cream, or guacamole, if you can believe that. I know. I do now. It's all right. Or raisin and carrot salad, if you've ever had that. It's got the raisins. Okay. Amen. Praise Jesus. I know it's hard to believe that there's anything that I didn't like based on my current size, but there were some things I didn't like to eat. There just were. Um, And the nice thing about that was because those things really bothered me that my, um, my kind and my loving and my thoughtful parents, they just didn't care at all that, <laughs> that I didn't like. They made me eat that stuff. They made me eat that stuff. They would tell me, hey, there are some kids in the world who are starving. I'd be like, probably better than eating carrot and raisin salad, right? <laughs> um, that's terrible. It's not better. Eh, uh, okay. Um, they didn't care about my feelings. <laughs> If mom made those foods, I was going to eat them. That's the way we rolled at our house. But here's the just wild thing. This is the thing that they would say to me as I was trying to gag down beets and as I'm dry heaving, trying to get that stuff down. This is what they would say to me to try to make it better. They'd say, pretend like the beets are chocolate ice cream. (laughs) That's what they would say. Pretend like the beets are chocolate ice cream. And I'd be like, well, I really shouldn't be eating too much ice cream. It's not good for you. No, I would try it. 
I would try to think about it. It did not work, okay? It did not work. I could not pretend like these beets that tasted like a mixture of dirt clods and vomit <laughs> were chocolate ice cream. And I've even had sugar-free ice cream. So I know bad tasting ice cream, but th this was not. Even sugar-free ice cream was better. But they, they were persistent. Just pretend, just pretend. I tried that on them the next time I got in trouble for getting an F in school. I said, just pretend like it's an A. <laughs> they did not buy it. Um. But neither did I about the beats, okay? I did not buy it about the beats because you can't pretend that something you do not like is something that you love. You can't pretend like that and make it work, okay? You can't pretend that you're hungry for something that you would not feed to a person for committing a crime, which I would not with beets. I mean, that, that's how bad I thought, no, that's <laughs> cruel and unusual punishment. Judge is like, uh, that's your third felony this year, son. You have two choices. Life in prison, you can eat this can of beets. You know, guy's like, well, do they have chocolate ice cream in prison? <laughs> My parents wanted me to change my affections, right? Change my desires. They wanted me to change my desires to want to eat their disgusting food. I could not do that by pretending. I actually do uh, eat beets now. Um, so you see what they've done to me. But <laughs> not a lot of beets, to be honest with you. But I, I can eat them. Borscht, if you've had that, that's some pretty good stuff. Get the sour cream going. You know what I'm saying. Russians in the house? Yeah, okay. They'll make some good borscht. There you go. Now you're talking. Um, we desire all kinds of things. We have affections for all kinds of things. Some of us, our biggest desire is romance. Some of us, our biggest desire is sleep. Some of us desire romance when our spouse desires sleep. <laughs> I got to sleep sometimes, people, okay? There you go. Just a slight delay. We'll get there. We'll get there. Oh. Can I, can I stay the night with somebody tonight? Tiffany's not going to. Woo. We, we desire all kinds of things, right? We're hungry for all kinds of things, and some of those things are not good. Some of those things are not good. But Jesus is going to talk straight to our heart in this verse, in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount that we're studying today. We've been in this series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, a bunch of teachings of Jesus called Right Side Up. We've been learning from the words of Jesus, Christ himself, what it looks like to be a Christ follower. What does it look like? And the way of Christ is upside down to the world. But what we realize as we, as we get into it is it's the world that's upside down. It's Jesus Christ that's right side up. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Matthew 5. Um, we're going to look at verse 6 and get started here. It says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, it's, it's interesting because it's hard for me to understand that metaphor, having never been hungry. Um, as you can see, that's not something, an emotion that I get a lot, um, hunger. But hungering and thirsting 
for righteousness sounds kind of, I don't know, uh, prudish, something like that, right? But when we think about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, if we understand what it means as a Christ follower, it should resonate with us. It should resonate with us. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book on the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what he said about this verse, about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I do not know of a better test that anyone can apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this. If this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements of the whole scripture, you can be quite certain you are a Christian. If it is not, then you had better examine the foundations again. Sounds pretty important. Sounds pretty important. If we are not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we are missing something basic. Something basic about being a Christ follower. But for some of us, the word righteousness sounds, I don't know, it sounds kind of like proper and, and prude and puritanical and, and the, like goody two-shoes, right? You guys goody, goody two-shoes. By the way, that comes from a story. I found this out. I looked it up. From back in the 1700s of this girl who had only one shoe, and eventually she got two shoes, and then she married a rich guy. That's goody two-shoes. It's probably the only thing you'll remember from today, but that is goody two-shoes, right? Goody, goody two-shoes. But righteousness in this context, or any context, has nothing to do with Puritanism or puritanicalness or prudishness or goody two-shoesness has, has nothing to do with following rules so that we can look good in front of other people. That's got nothing to do with the righteousness that we're talking about here. Righteousness is not about a checklist of rules to follow. It's not about a checklist. Righteousness is about being in the will of God. It's about being in the will of God because God's will is by definition righteous. He is the righteous one. And so if we're in his will, we're righteous. And if we're not, we're not. But desiring God's will, hungering for God's will, will always be righteous because he is righteous. So righteousness is about living a godly life. So you are going to be doing good things. But it's not about the checklist, not about the rules. It's about having a heart after God. It's about having a heart after God. Religious people... See, the world looks at religious people and they, and they look at them like they're a bunch of people that are all about rules, right? They're all about rules. And, and some people are. Some people really are just all about rules. Paul, the apostle in scripture, he addresses some people who are making a lot of religious rules. They made a lot of religious rules and, and they would require that everybody follow them. And they would look down and judge anybody who didn't follow all their rules. Not, I'm not talking about scripture. I'm talking about a bunch of man-made stuff that came after that, that they, that they would judge you if you didn't do. And this is what Paul says. This is in Colossians 2, 20 through 23. It says this, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concerns things with perish, which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Why would we, as followers of Christ, 
the God of the universe who set us free and saved us? Why would we want people to think that righteousness was about a bunch of things in a list that we're against? Here's all the things that we're against. Why would we want people to think that that's what righteousness is? You know, this idea, stop having fun. This is church. Now look serious and sad so people think you're a good Christian. (laughs) Don't have any fun. Stop that. Righteousness is not about what we're against. Righteousness is about what we are for. It's about what we're for. Righteousness is about wanting to live in the fullness, in the richness of the Christ life. That's what righteousness is about. Righteousness is about wanting to be in the will of our loving and perfect God and Father. Wanting that, desiring that, living in that. That's what it's about. Listen, it is only the impurity of our hearts. It is only the impurity of our hearts that tempts us to think about morality and righteousness as nothing more than, as simply just a list of don'ts. Instead of as a way to grow in the righteousness and the will of God. Righteousness is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's freedom. It's freedom. It's purity. It's holiness. It's peace with God and with people. It's awesome. It's an amazing, awesome, godly, powerful thing. It's children that ask, what are the rules? So they can know how far they can go, right? Those are the ones who ask, what's the rule, mom, dad, whichever one I think is going to give me the better rule. I might try a couple times. How late can I stay up? Right? How late can I stay up? How many cookies can I have? Right? How long can I play video games? They are asking these questions so they can know the don'ts, so that they can run all the way up to the edge of those don'ts, but not get in trouble. Right? Not, I never went to my parents and said, you know, tell me about the principles of why I should stay up late so that I can help. We can come to an understanding of, of really, you know, what it looks like to get a good night's sleep. No, it was, how late can I stay up? When can my bedtime go up? Right? Three or four years ago, my dad said I could stay up till 10. So it's, <laughs> it's getting better now. She rarely falls asleep before that. Okay. Um, All right. People have this idea, I want to be good so I can go to heaven. I want to be good so I can go to heaven. Hey, where do you think you're going to go when you die? Well, I think I'll go to heaven. Why do you think that? Well, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I've seen the list of don'ts. And I don't do that many of them. I mean, look at that guy over there, right? That's kind of how people are. But if you think that, you have missed the gospel. You have entirely missed the gospel. You have entirely missed the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world is merit-based, based on your merit. What have you done? You have a list of don'ts. Check them off. You have a list of dues. Check them off. You've done those things. Okay, you're in or you're out or you're coming back as an ant and then a bam, you know, a elephant and then whatever until you get to where you're. Whatever it is, all these ideas are earn, earn, earn. But that's not the gospel. Praise God. That's not the gospel. The gospel says you can only go to heaven when you understand that you are not good. 
You can only go to heaven when you understand that only God is good and that you need him. You need his grace. You need his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection to be made righteous. You can't do it by yourself. You can't check off the list and get there. There's a a story of a man who came to Jesus asking about the rules. How can I get to heaven by the rules? We call him the rich young ruler. This is found in Matthew 19, uh, 16 through 22. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, it's a little bit longer of a passage. Let's check it out. It says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I might have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? I love that. Like, not all of them, right? I mean, come on. Not a bacon thing. I don't like that rule. <laughs> Jesus said, that's not a rule for us, by the way. <laughs> you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? I wonder if the disciples were like, Bull! you know. <laughs> Uh Uh-huh. But let's assume he did. Let's assume that it was all about this rule following to get to heaven. He said, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, righteous, holy, you want to be perfect? Go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. brother in Christ uh, named Beckett Cook. He wrote a book recently called Change of Affection. Change of Affection. I highly recommend the book. Uh, It's about his life. He left a life of atheism and and sexual brokenness to follow Christ. Really interesting book. And he he discusses this passage here, and he points out a couple of things. First, he comes to him and says, good teacher. Good teacher. This man was not showing that he honored Jesus Christ as God. He was not showing that. He was calling Jesus a good teacher, and Jesus is saying to him, now hang on a second. Why are you calling me good? Because you know, and I know, that only God is good. So the implication Jesus is saying is this. If I'm good, then I'm God. If I'm not God, then I'm not good. Make a choice, right? That's, that's just staring you in the face by implication of this passage. He's saying, I'm either not God or I'm not good. Something's got to give here. But a lot of people today still come to Jesus with that mentality. Good teacher. He's a good teacher. What do you think about Jesus? Well, I think he was a good teacher. I think he was a good human teacher, but I don't think think he was God. But I think he was a good teacher. Here's here's the problem. C.S. Lewis points out this problem. He kind of smokes their argument on good teacher with this argument called the trilemma. This is how it goes. This is what C.S. Lewis says. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, 
or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus is walking around saying, I'm God. I forgive sins. I'm going to judge the world. People are going to say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. What does that mean? What does he say? He's saying, I'm, I'm God. I made everything. I did all this. Now, if somebody was going around saying that, you go into the office tomorrow or work or whatever, and somebody's like, by the way, I'm God. I forgive you. You're going to be like, uh-huh. Too many beats. Something's going on with that person, right? They crazy. But nobody thought that about Jesus. Interesting. You either call him a lunatic, a liar, or your savior. Those are your choices. So when this rich young ruler comes up and says, good teacher, he's missing it. Right out of the gate, he's making a mistake. He's so focused on the checklist on what he can do to get into heaven to earn his way to God, that he literally misses the son of God who he's talking to. Be careful about how focused you get on the do's and the don'ts. And look at how this man is trying to earn eternal life. What are the do's and don'ts, Jesus? Give me the list. Let me check the boxes off. Some of you like to make lists. Some of you are organized. <clears throat> Julie Cook. She's like, okay, joke about Julie and Glenn. She's checking off her lips. Right? <laughs> Math teachers, what are you going to do? But this is not something to be looking for a list on. But that's what he was doing. Give me a list. Let me check the box. Follow the commandments. Which ones? Lay, lay them out for me. Tell me what I have to do so that I'm good. So I don't burn up in the fire or so I don't have this. Just tell me what to do so that I'm good. Give me the quid pro quo. I do this, you do that. Let's make a deal, God. Let's make a deal. But his heart was exposed. Jesus was taking his time and being patient with him, but he exposed his heart. He loved his wealth more than he loved God. His wealth was his God. You can't serve two masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. You cannot serve God in sex. You cannot serve God in gossip. You cannot serve God in whatever it is. You cannot serve two masters. And it became clear, Jesus gave him the choice. Let your money be your master or let me be your master. God walked away bummed out. Because money was more important to him than God. And we can get like this too. Give me the checklist. Go to church, check. Remember my anniversary? Check. iPhone. Put that thing down there. Give some little bit of money to the church, maybe to some starving kids. Check, right? Don't eat too many carbs. Well, I, not everything's going to get. Which ones, after all? Right? Let's make a list. Let's check it off so I can be a good person and get to heaven. For this man, his, his, his hang-up was money. It was money. For some of you, it might be money. 
That's your God. For some of you, it might be your sex life, your identity, your whatever, your, your thought life, your obsession with your kids, your obsession with your free time, or with your job, or your anger. What is it for you? You don't need to answer out loud. I already know. No, I don't really know. <laughs> Where do you rub up against righteousness and get pushed back? Where do you rub up against righteousness and go away sorrowful? Where is your heart not pure? Where, where are you saying in your life, I won't follow you, Jesus, if you ask for this thing? You can have this, you can have that, you can have this, you can have that. But if you ask for this, I got to go the other way. I got to go the other way. If he was here today, if Jesus was here, and of course the Holy Spirit is here, but if Jesus was here and you came up to him and said, Lord, I want to follow you, and he said, okay, first, what would the next sentence be? First, I want you to give up this thing. For how many of us would we walk away when that came? Or would it be so difficult? Or would it be so sorrowful? What couldn't we give up? Your possessions. Pretty rich in this country. If you've been anywhere else in the world, you know that. Your money, your view of sexuality, your sex life, your job title, your pride, your friends and your family, your comfort, your anger, your independence, your food, your alcohol, your politics, your iPhone. What do you say? Your entertainment choices. For some of you, maybe it's your grudges against people and your refusal to forgive that you have to hold on to those who have hurt you. It's easy to find where these things are in your life, by the way. It's not difficult. You want to you ferret them out? You want to look for them? All you have to ask yourself is, what do you avoid in Scripture? What makes you uncomfortable when you're reading Scripture? Is it the scriptures that talk about God's design for sexuality? Is it the scriptures that talk about money? Scriptures that talk about food? Forgiving others? Loving your enemies? The ones that talk about anger? The ones that talk about showing mercy? Where is it? Where is it where you go, mm, let's go on to the next verse. That probably was for them at that time. If you're anywhere in scripture, if you're doing backflips, to try to find an interpretation that, that feels better to you, you're rubbing up against something. You're rubbing up against something. Wherever you feel yourself pushing back against Christ, that's where your desires are broken. That's where your hungers are off base. We know what the scripture says about all these things, right? We know what the scripture says about sex, about lying, about gossip, about giving our money, right? We're like, 10%? That was probably for somebody else. They didn't understand percentages back then. <laughs> we know what it says. We know what it says about marriage, about our priorities. Now, which one of these things tastes like beets to you, right? Which one of these things is difficult to stomach? If I'm honest... I'll tell you, I, I, I do hunger and thirst for righteousness, but that doesn't mean I don't struggle. 
doesn't mean I don't struggle. It doesn't mean that I do not have some upside-down desires still that I struggle with that need to be turned right side up. I read and study the Sermon on the Mount, and I get broken down just straight to the soul. It breaks me down because some of it still tastes like beets to me. I wish I could say it was all chocolate ice cream. But when I read the Sermon on the Mount, some of it still tastes like beets, and that breaks me down. That breaks me down. Because I'm not hungry for beets. And I need to be hungry. I need to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. So I don't. I don't always hunger and thirst for righteousness. Sometimes I hunger and thirst for my own sinful desires. That's why I have to study Jesus' words. That's why we have to study Jesus' words. Someone one time... Uh, suggested that C.S. Lewis did not care enough about the Sermon on the Mount. He wrote a lot of stuff, and somebody said, you don't care enough about the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he said. He said, as to caring for the Sermon on the Mount, if caring for here means liking or enjoying, I suppose no one cares for it. Who can like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? I can hardly imagine a more deadly spiritual condition than that of the man who can read that passage with tranquil pleasure. If we're reading through this and it isn't rubbing up against you, you have either gone a very long way in your spiritual life or you're not reading the same thing I am because it bumps up against us. Lewis is just being honest. He knows he doesn't always hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when he's called out and turned right outside up by the Sermon on the Mount, sometimes it hurts, like getting hit in the face with a sledgehammer. We cannot hunger and thirst for something that we do not want. We cannot hunger and thirst for something we do not want. But here's the really good news. The beauty is that there's transformation in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and then 20 through 21, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. She is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Then he says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. This is for every visitor who doesn't know Jesus Christ in here today. I implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are new. We don't have to pretend to be hungry for righteousness. Just pretend. It'll just taste like ice cream. You don't have to do that. You don't have to pretend. God is working in us to change our desires. He's working in you to transform your affections if you're in him. Philippians 1, 3 through 6. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, make a request for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you 
will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Who's working? He's working in you. You don't have to pretend to like it and force yourself into it. You just have to hunger and thirst for it, and he'll fill you. He'll change you. He'll transform you. He'll do the work. You can't do it yourself. Ice cream, ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. (laughs) Doesn't work. He has to come and transform you. You have a new and alive spirit from your dead spirit. He's transforming you. He's transforming you. You can hunger and thirst for righteousness because Christ is working in you to change your hungers, to change your desires, to change your affections. Those things are changing. If you've been in Christ long, you should have experienced by now some of these changes in your desires. I used to think when I was younger, my mom's going to be mad. I used to think when I was younger that giving up getting drunk on the weekends by following Christ was going to be unbearably boring. That life was just going to be like, what are you going to do if you're not drinking with your buddies? But God changed my hunger. He changed my desires. And guess what? I'm not bored. I'm not bored. I have way more fun now than I used to. And bonus, no hangovers. Which is nice because those are terrible. And tell some of you can know that right now. That's all right. Just kidding, Glenn. All right. I used to have all kinds of hungers and affections that were off base. I don't have all day for this sermon, or I'd start listing them for you. But God has transformed me. God has changed my desires. It's not like I was able to change my desires. I trusted him. I hungered and thirsted for righteousness. He came in and did the work. He who began the work in me has been faithful to be completing it until that day. I still have a long way to go. I still have a long way to go, but this verse is so powerful to me. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you're going to be blessed, and you're going to be filled. I truly want righteousness. I want to know God's will, and I want to live in it. Is there anything more satisfying, more peace-giving than when God reveals his will to you for your life and you walk in it? There's nothing like it. If you've never had the experience of God saying, this is the job for you. This is the spouse for you. This is the way that you should go. That is the way you should go. And then walking in that. There's nothing so fulfilling as that. I want that. I want righteousness. I want to be like Christ. I want more of him in my life. And I need to want more and more and more and more. Jesus Christ tells us, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. You're going to be full. The best time to be hungry, I've found, is right before you're going to eat something delicious. Right? You ever had like, hey, let's all go to wherever, and you're like, I just ate. I'm not going to be able to enjoy that thing. The best time to be hungry is right before you're going to get something delicious. I love being hungry. Right before I'm going to fill my belly with goodness. Love it. Really? I'm surprised that you... Yeah. (laughs) You know how your mom used to say, don't have too many snacks, it'll ruin your appetite. 
It'll ruin your appetite. And I'd be thinking, are we having liver and beets tonight? Because that ruins my appetite. But there's something to that. We have to maintain our hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know when you smell something delicious, like cookies baking, or like, or like bread baking, or some, some amazing smell? You know how you, you start to get hungry? Maybe salivate just a little bit? Like, no, fat guy, we aren't like that. We, <laughs> we all eat kale every day. That's all we do. Good for you. I'll pray for you. <clears throat> That aroma draws our hunger. That aroma draws out our hunger, and we need to be surrounded. We need to surround ourselves with the aroma of righteousness if we want to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. We have to be. If we are snacking on sin, we're going to ruin our appetite for righteousness. You can tweet that one. That's a good one. (laughs) But if you are reading God's word... If you're surrounding yourself with brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are thinking about Jesus, thinking about how blessed you are, thinking about how happy you are, thinking about what salvation means to you, thinking about being dead and now being alive, we sing Amazing Grace, being blind and now seen, thinking about the glory of that, boy, the aroma of righteousness is going to be in the air, and you're going to want more of it. You're going to hunger for it and thirst for it, and he's going to fill you, because he tells us that he will. Now, I can tell you one thing about my God. What he promises, he does. Every time. So if he tells you that you're blessed, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, and that you're going to be filled, that's what's going to happen. So surround yourself with the aroma of righteousness, and that hunger, you're going to start salivating for righteousness. You're going to want it, and you're going to, you're going to, fill it. You're going to be filled with it. So test your appetite for righteousness a little bit. I want you to think about Sitting on that porch swing when you're 100 years old, okay? You can ask Dan about it. And looking back on your life, you're 100 years old and you're looking back, what would you rather see? Be honest with yourself. Would you rather see a life that was constantly growing that was constantly being filled with righteousness, that was constantly being more and more in the will of God, Or would you rather see a life that was filled with money or sex or power or pride? Because looking back, I think very few of us would say, yeah, we want those. We want the money. We want to make sure when we're 100 years old, we're going to care about what kind of car we drove. No, you're going to be thinking, I'm going to care about whether or not I've wasted my life or whether or not I've been putting rewards in heaven. At 100 years old, that's the only thing that's going to matter because nothing else is going to work, Right? Everything's going to hurt. If it hurts at my age, boy, it's going to hurt then. None of that stuff's going to matter. But when we're looking forward, are we living for that moment on the porch swing? As you make your decision throughout the day, are you saying, I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness because that's the only moment to be filled so that when I look back, it's going to be right? Or do you go, I want, I want, I hunger, I thirst? Need more 
romance, need more, more likes on Facebook, need more uh, you know, time off to, to hang out and sit around, need more football, need more whatever. None of these things are necessarily bad things. But if that's what you're hungering and thirsting for, and Jesus is back over here, you're missing it. You're missing it. And when you look back, you're not going to be happy with it. The person who will truly be blessed is the person that's been being filled with righteousness. If there's anything you want more than Jesus Christ, you got a problem. Rich young ruler had a problem. But if that's the case for you, I got an easy way to fix it. Ask Jesus. Ask Jesus to change your heart. You can't do it by yourself. Don't try to will yourself. Don't white knuckle yourself into wanting righteousness. Don't sit there and try to choke down beets and tell yourself it's chocolate ice cream. Ask Jesus to make it chocolate ice cream to you. Ask him to change your desires. Ask him to stir your affections for him and for his righteousness. Wake up in the morning and say, God, make me want you more today. Make me need you more, want you more, hunger for you more, thirst for you more, want to be in your will. Make me not think about what I'm against but what I'm for. Make me not go around looking at other people and the things that they do wrong and getting worked up about that, but rather leading them not towards these things that are breaking them, but towards you. Wake up in the morning. Say, God, stir my affections for you. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And show me how to love you as much as I can. Give all of it to me. I know that I'll be blessed if I hunger and thirst for righteousness. So give me a hunger and give me a thirst because I want your blessing. I want more of it. I want you to fill this cup and I want you to just fill it and fill it and fill it. I want all that you have to give. Why, Why do we go after these other things in the world that give us at best very temporary pleasures when Christ is offering everything? And we're like, no, I know better. I know better. This temporal thing, I need this right now, Lord. You just don't understand. You just don't know me. You don't know what I need. And he's like, here's everlasting blessing if you just want to walk over here. We're like, I don't know about that. Ask him to make you want it. Ask him to change your affections. Ask him to transform you to desire his will. To desire righteousness. Let everything else in life be nothing compared to knowing Jesus. All the things that we think are important, they may be valuable, they may be good, but they are nothing compared to knowing Jesus. The more our hearts, affections, and our hunger is for righteousness, the more we can enjoy everything else that God has given us. The more you're going to enjoy your wife or your husband or your kids or your car or your house or the blessings that God's given you, the more that you have your affection for him, and get, it, and get that right, get that vertical relationship right with him, the more you can enjoy those other things. The less problems that you're going to have in your relationships, the less problems you're going to have with your fears, the less problems you're going to have with everything, the more you have affection for him. But the more you're looking down here at all these temporal things, the more that you're snacking on all of that, the less you're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. The less you're going to have time to even think about Jesus. You're too focused on fixing everything yourself. This is what Paul says in, in Philippians 
3, 7 through 14. The Holy Spirit through Paul. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. All these things... I count as rubbish, as garbage, as trash that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, brothers and sisters, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's he saying? All this stuff. Paul was, when you want to count up checklists, Paul was the man. Circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, the Pharisee of Pharisees. Completely, as to the law, as to the checklist, Julie. Checking them all. Right? He checked them all off. He was all of that. And he's saying, all those things that I could use for my own stature among men and women, the things that I could use to, to look good in the world, the, the possessions, the, the whatever, I count all that stuff as garbage compared to knowing Christ. So that my whole life is about pressing toward that prize. The prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's where I want to go. That's what I'm going to think about. That's what I'm going to ask God to make my affections for. That's what it's about. And in doing so, I get to experience everything else. You reach for heaven, and the earth gets thrown in. You reach for the earth, you get neither the earth nor heaven. C.S. Lewis says something like that. Righteousness is not a place to go on a diet. You got a hunger. You got a thirst for righteousness. You got to be strong and passionate in those desires. And let God fill you, because everything else that we know is worthless in comparison, in comparison to Jesus Christ who saved you. Now, if you don't know Jesus, today's the day. Today is the day for you to know him. Church is not some place that we have all come today to check off a list to get to heaven, just so you know. We're here because we want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're here because we love you. Those who don't know Christ who are in this room today, we love you. We love Jesus. We want more of him. We want you to have more of him. We want you to have life in him. We want you to know him to be saved from your sin. We want your spirit to be made new. We want you to be a new creation in Christ Jesus, to have life, to have life. This is what Jesus says in John 10, 9 through 11. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. 
I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Listen, people say, what's the meaning of life? What's life about? Look, you don't even know what life is. Forget what it's about. You don't know what life is unless you're in Christ. You want to see the lights come on in your soul? You want to see your spirit go from death to life? It starts with knowing Jesus. You wonder why you struggle. You wonder why you don't understand who you are. You wonder why you're confused. You wonder why it doesn't make sense. You wonder why you're scared. You wonder why when this politician says this or when that natural disaster does that or whatever, that you shake and you have fear. You want to know what it looks like to be strong and confident. You got to know Christ. Because whatever you think about yourself, however many boxes you think you've checked off, let me just tell you, you're not good. You're not good. You're not holy. You're not perfect. And you can't be in community with a perfect God when you're imperfect. But Jesus Christ has bridged the gap. Jesus Christ died on a cross and shed his blood for you. Shed his blood for you that you might be saved. Shed his blood for you so that you could know him, so that you could hunger and thirst for righteousness, so that you could be in his will, so that he could change you, so that he could transform you. That's here for you today, if you want it. And we'd love for you to have him. Well, thanks for listening to that Acts Church sermon. We hope you got a lot out of it. If you did, we'd love it if you would comment or uh, Give us a review or give the track a like. Uh, it really means a lot to us to hear back from people who have um, heard these sermons and have been impacted by it. So share your story with us. Share what is happening in your life um, that this is speaking into. And remember, you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast so that you can get all of our releases as soon as they come out. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with more next week.